The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. So now let's go to God's Word in the book of John, chapter 12, verse 12 through 28. The next day... The large crowd that had come to feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went to to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida, Bethsaida, in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness to your Father, for setting your face toward Jerusalem as flint, Nothing could stop you because of your love. We thank you for what you have done for us, and we pray that you would open our hearts to it this morning and to you. Oh God, may we see Jesus and him only. We pray this in his name. Amen. How do you save the world? (laughs) I mean, that's what's going on in Jesus' life and in his death and this last week. He's saving the world. So how do you save it? Uh, If you um, just look at Hollywood, you see that Will Smith showed us how in Independence Day. Uh, You see that Bruce Willis showed us how in about the 25 diehards that he did. And uh, there's so many other actors that have showed us how to save the world. And it's always the same way. Through strength, through power, through beauty, through success. And as we look at the Word, and as we enter the last few chapters of the Gospel of John, we see that the disciples were the same way. 
The chief priests and the Pharisees sent the guards to go arrest Jesus. And what did Peter do? He drew his sword and he swung it. And he's not a warrior, but he thought, hey, this is what we must do because this is how you win a war. You don't win a war standing back and letting the enemy kill you. And yet Jesus said, no, 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 no. This is not how we win the the war on sin and death. And so Jesus healed the ear of the soldier and restored him to health. And Jesus was saying, the ways of the kingdom of God, the glory of God is different from the glory of men. And in so doing, He was showing us what not only He was saving us from, namely pride and arrogance and love of the world, but He was showing us what He was going to free us to. A life of selflessness. A life of love. A life of living for those around you. Being freed, finding joy, saying this is truth, this is the real life. And so this morning we want to see the glory of Jesus. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What is this glory? And we see that Jesus is the essence of God's glory. I mean, Jesus is it from the the very moment that, that He was born to the very moment that He died, He was raised and even ascended to heaven. That this is glory. That, that whatever this is, whatever whoever He is, this is glory. Not what we experience, not what our hearts long for, not what our flesh longs for. But this is it. This is truth. This is real life. And, and it's glorious. And, and, and that word glory can be so confusing, but we, we know glory when we see it. I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about uh, Elvis. And, and look at this. Look at this, uh, this picture of... Um, some individuals that see it. Glory. That's the effect of glory right there. What about the Beatles? How about the Beatles? There we go. Glory. I mean, that should be what we look like in worship, right? This is the posture of the Psalms. And yet, this is what we do when we stand before the glory of the Beatles. I think about it in FedEx Forum. I think about how different our worship would be if we simply were more excited about Jesus than we are about the Grizzlies. And I love the Grizzlies, believe me. I love them. But I don't love them more than Jesus. Do you see, when you see glory, when you understand glory, you respond. You react. And so this morning, I want us to look at the glory of God. And the glory of Jesus is one that that is bestowed on Him through weakness. The glory of God is, is, is bestowed, it's not grasped. It, it is something that we lay down everything for and we trust Him to produce. It is totally different from the way that we approach life. Jesus' glory is evident as He faces Jerusalem and He enters Jerusalem knowing that He will be killed Knowing what will happen to him, this is the glory of Jesus as he rides into Jerusalem on a baby donkey. That's glory. That's glory. You say, I don't want to drive a pinto. I don't want to take the bus. And Jesus said, that's the way of glory. That's the way of real life. And we need to behold this glory. You see, Jesus' kind of glory is the prototype. 
It is not one entree. It's not an attractive entree in a buffet of other entrees. God is saying this is glory. And everything else is fake glory. This is the prototype. And so let's just marinate. I want to, we're going to cook on, in, in, on Jesus. We're going to put the glory of Jesus on the smoker, not the gas grill. But we're going to let it marinate. <laughs> we're going to let the smoke come over it low and slow, baby, this morning. I know I'm preaching to Memphis people. I'm getting excited. So let's look at it. Five quick things, but five deep and beautiful things of His glory as we just marinate on God's glory. The First of all, Jesus' glory was intentional. It was intentional. It didn't just happen. If this is what we're being called to, then we need to understand this, that it was an intentional choice. You don't swim upstream by mistake. You swim upstream because you want to get upstream. You're determined It's not the easy way. And that was Jesus. Listen to Matthew 16. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. He's swimming upstream. Man, if I'm God in the flesh, I'm telling everybody. I'm putting it on YouTube. I mean, everybody knows that. If I'm not Jesus, he's a different kind of glory. He charged, don't tell anybody. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside. Oh, Peter. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Say, Peter, you're not thinking like a, you're not thinking in line with God's glory. You're thinking in line of man's glory. I love Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 where uh, it tells us that when, when, when the time had come that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem like flint, like he is set on going to Jerusalem. I'm going and nothing's going to stop me. It was intentional. So dear friends, this glory that we're being called to If we're going to live it, we have to make some intentional choices. We have to to, to say, if this is really glory, then I'm going to intentionally live in this direction. And then secondly, Jesus' glory creates a conflict of soul. For it's diametrically opposed to the glory of men. Jesus tells Peter he has in mind the things of men, not the things of God. You see, men build their kingdoms with wealth and power and degrees and success. We build our world by by winning. But Jesus' kind of glory says, look, winning is an idol. Success is an idol. Wealth is an idol that will replace real life. And so to show that glory to the world, then we as God's people, we as His, as His body must die and do it gladly and willingly and happily and joyfully. So that the world might go, that's a different kind of glory. Do you see it? You see, it's different at the point of faithful obedience. Isaiah 53, 7, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. When someone lays an indictment on you, you want to defend yourself. I want to defend myself. And Jesus said, I don't need to defend myself because my glory comes, my approval comes, my acceptance comes from a different place, from a well that is deeper than what the world can give me. And then thirdly, Jesus' glory was not noticed until after His death. It is not a quick thing. It's not instant gratification. It is a life lived in an intentional direction of self-sacrifice, joyful self-sacrifice, joyful love that gives itself away and will never most likely see the payoff. That was Jesus. The world, even the church, didn't notice Jesus most of the time. Look at verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. And Jesus is saying, I've been telling you and telling you and telling you. His disciples didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified after His death, then they remembered that these things had been written about Him and had been done to Him. I love this because true glory is not needy. We can make some intentional steps and and live self-sacrificially. I'm going to give more. I'm going to volunteer more. But then our heart is exposed. How? Because we don't get the accolades that we want. And so bitterness springs up. These ungrateful people aren't recognizing what I'm doing. That's. I mean, if anybody had the opportunity to say that, it was the Christ Himself. They don't know what I've given up. Now, that is a true statement coming out of the mouth of Jesus. (laughs) And yet, He did not ask for glory. In fact, He was walking away from it all of the time. But how? We see it in verse 28. Father, glorify Your name. See, His goal, the true bottom line of Jesus' life was not the glory of men, was not the acceptance and the appraise and the applause of men or women. But it was the praise of His Father. It's what He lived for. It was, it was the food that he, that he ate upon. Father, You get glory, not me. True glory will not make it on the cover of Time magazine. It's mundane consistency. Joy-filled, heaven-filled-up living that is selfless and humble And will not take a compliment. Isn't that beautiful? Fourthly, Jesus' glory insults the world and those who choose it will feel lonely and isolated. Earlier in the chapter that Erin read, she she read about the, the, the fact that this passage comes after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Like literally, Lazarus was dead for about three days. He was stinking dead. And Jesus raised him alive, to life. And then, then we read this, that, that Jesus comes and he has dinner with Lazarus. And there's some people that, that are seeing it, a, a small group of people that are seeing it and saying, this is the Christ. But the leaders of the church, the mainstream, those who were in the power structures and, and, and had control of the power structures, the religious power structures of the day, said, okay, well, let's kill Lazarus. That was their solution. You're like, are you kidding me? 
I mean, if, if we had one who came to Memphis and raised someone from the dead, I would think we would take him to the cemetery. <laughs> I would think we would take him to St. Jude. I would think that we would take him to the ICU at Methodist and Baptist and St. Francis and say, do your thing. We would say healing has come. Power has come from God and yet the ways of the world is no. Power is threatening because that is what I want. And I'm not going to let you have it. And so I'm jealous. That's what Jesus felt. And it was lonely. Even the twelve didn't understand what he was doing. Even his own disciples were opposing him. And so our text really ends, I love this, in verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Like, I can't take you guys any longer. I've got to go be with my father. Why? Because he was lonely. He was despised. He was rejected even by the church. Even his own people that said they loved him didn't understand him. You see, this is where true glory will take you. It will be lonely because not only will you not get accolades, but you will become a threat. Because nobody wants knows what to do with somebody... That whose life is not governed by sex appeal or money or power. Someone who doesn't need the accolades of the world, but someone who is so free, so independent from the things of the world, that they can live their life in the direction of those who are in need. And they can live their life in the direction giving away what they have. Fifthly, Jesus' glory cannot be defeated. Verse 19. In the eyes of the Pharisees, this is, this is how they viewed it. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, really they're talking to each other, You see that you're gaining nothing. In all this opposition... And all of the attempts to shut this guy up were gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, that wasn't true. Look at his little tiny church. His little tiny, tiny church that explodes after his death, but is still very tiny. I mean, if Jesus were a church planter today, his governing body probably would have been shutting down after about 18 months. Because there was nothing impressive about what was going on. And yet the Pharisees say, but he is, he is gaining power. We can see that this is a different kind of power. And we can see that someone this free, someone that, that doesn't obey us, someone that we can't control, and yet someone who is loving and giving of himself, someone who doesn't need the wealth of the world, someone who doesn't need his ego stroked, this is threatening to us. And we can tell that, that he's going to win the world. And so we better do something. It is a threat. And you can't beat it. Why? Because it is willing to lose. I look back at the last year. And a lot of things were being said. And, and we were being told to defend ourselves. We were being told to make public statements. We were being told, and, and I love what our elders were doing. We are, whole, we are worried about this body. 
And we're not worried about image. We're not worried about perception. Let the world say whatever they want to say. But we must be humble before our people. And I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, we were watching. We were watching. The way to win is to shut up. (laughs) The way to win is not defend yourself. The way to win is to say... Man, if you are looking for something, if you're looking for a, if you're looking for a sinner, here we are. It is worse than whatever you found out. I mean, we can tell you a whole lot more if you want to hear about sin and the sin of our leaders and the sin of our body. Oh, we could write books and volumes. You see, the glory of the church is not protecting its image. The glory of the church is proclaiming that there is only one beautiful one among us, and His name is Jesus. And we are sinners. We are sinners. Even in our best attempts, we are absolutely pathetic. There is not a moment, there's not a moment that your leadership is as godly as Jesus. There's not a moment that you should trust this leadership more than Jesus. Do you hear that? That is... That is the kind of glory that we need. A glory that says, there's the glory, not us. Oh, the devil can wound us. The devil can do some hurtful things. But you put us in the ground, okay, we'll rise one day. Because our glory comes from the power of Jesus, the living God Himself. It's what He does through the week. It's what He does with the week. It's how He has overcome death that we're going to look at next Sunday morning. Oh, I can't wait. And then secondly, that was the first point, just marinating on the glory of Jesus. And secondly, Jesus calls us to His glory. Michael Davis, when he preached last week, gave us an incredible illustration about a blue-collar woman or a woman that had a blue-collar job who refused to buy a car or even a house. She lived simply. She never took vacation. And when she retired, she, she gave away $7 million. $7 million. And we hear an illustration like that, and it's so easy to say, Oh, that's oh man, that's so encouraging. I'm going to go buy somebody lunch. <laughs> and then just go about my business tomorrow morning. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. I'm a. No, that woman made a strategic decision years and years and years ago that every day she was driven by a different purpose, and that different purpose was my life for others. That I'm gonna work my entire life not for me, but so that others can go to college. Unbelievable, and that's what Jesus is talking about. He, he tells us in verses 24 through 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, when, when Jesus says truly, truly, He's saying, listen, listen, listen. This is it. I mean, this is, you've got to listen. I say to you that unless a kernel of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, this is not just one little teaching that we can say yes to or not. 
What Jesus is telling us here is that this is the way of life and there is no other way. This is the way of glory and there is no plan B. Yes, you can be one little flower. You, you can be one little plant. And oh, you can shine and you can get all the praise and glory of the world around you. But then you die and it's over. But if you are willing to just give of yourself and fall into the ground. Oh, then you'll, other little plants will sprout. And then they die. And then all of a sudden you have a field of flowers. That was produced not by one flower holding on to its life. But by one flower willing to say, I let go. That there might be others, that there might be many others that live. Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life, loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What is he talking about? He's not talking about hating your life in the sense that you can't ever find enjoyment. But you don't find ultimate enjoyment. To love your life is to put it on a pedestal and say, I've got to protect it at all costs. This is the ultimate, that this is the kind of life that I must have. This is the kind of life that I deserve. And if I don't get it, then it's God's fault. You see, that's how many of us approach God. That's how many of us pray. Basically, we're going to God to bless our lives. As opposed to going to God and saying, give us the strength to live the kind of life that you have lived, died, And that you rose to give us. You see, Jesus lived, died, and rose to empower us to live a distinct way. You want to know why Jesus isn't answering your prayers? It's because you're praying for Him to do evil. Make me glorious. Make my kingdom glorious. Make. He's like, no. Because to do that is to give you a taste of hell. That's what hell is going to be. Hell is going to be just giving you what you want. Heaven will be a full alignment of our mind, body, soul, and desires to the glory of God Himself. And everything we do in the new heaven and the new earth, our work, our relationships, our eating, our drinking, everything will be directed to His glory and He will get glory. And we will have life. That's it. Isn't that beautiful? And Jesus says, that's the way to get life now. So no, I'm not going to make you rich. (laughs) No, I'm not going to maybe even heal you. Because to the extent that you die hoping in me, to the extent that you suffer and give your life for your neighbor quietly, joyfully, not self-righteously and proudly, To the extent that you do that, you will know life. You see, the very heart of Jesus must be our heart. And His heart was for the Father's glory. Most of our lives are lived avoiding Jerusalem. That Jesus calls us all. That's what He's doing this morning. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seed. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will gain it for all eternity. This is, he's calling us to Jerusalem. You see, Him going to Jerusalem is not just some cute little story that we get the children up here with palm branches and go, oh, let's post them on Facebook. And that's fine that we do that. But that's not it. 
We should look at our children waving the palm branches and say, yes, we want our children to know that they are called to a life of death. They, we, we need our children to know that, that, that Jesus is worthy to be praised with palm branches and everything that they will ever have, their education, their health, their, their spouse, their children, their very life, their job, everything. This is so much bigger. It's not just calling us to, to go work for a non-profit. And I'm not, if you work for a non-profit, and we have a lot of people, a lot of us do. That's not what the, the thrust of this is. It's whatever you do. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. If you're a lawyer, then bend your whole law practice, the whole thrust of your practice toward the good of others. I don't know what that looks like, but it's between you and God to figure it out and the community of God's people to figure it out. If you're a doctor, if you're a business person, if you're an opera, whatever it is, it, 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 He is calling us to die in whatever we are in. You can't have a good marriage unless you're dying. If your marriage is bad, it's because somebody and probably both are not dying. If your children, I mean, you just, it just goes on and on. If you're, we've got to move on. How do we do this? Well, the Father's glory has to be everything. Luke twenty two forty two. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. It's not easy. It's not easy. It, it, we don't. It's, this is not some giddy hop and skip through life. And oh, I'm sick. I'm, you know, I lost my job. I'm giving away my money. I'm oh, I'm so happy. No. <laughs> it's Father. I don't want to do this most days. But you get glory in my life. You bring my heart around my actions. You move me in the right direction. John 12, 27, now is my soul troubled. I don't want to die. The very Son of God, I don't want to die. Why? Because death is the essence of the curse. There's nothing good about death. It's horrible. So what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, I can't pray that because that's selfish. You get glory. If that means save me from this hour, then save me from this hour. If it means take me into this hour, then take me into this hour. That, that's that got to be our heart. Jesus lost His life to His Father and for His people. Who do you need to lose your life to and for this morning? Certainly to God. But who tangibly in your life? Maybe in your employees. It may be your neighbor across the street that you're in that argument with and y'all just try not to look at each other when you go and get in your car in the morning and you, you know, build a bigger fence or what, you know, what, who is it? I don't know, but Jesus does and I have a feeling so do you and so do I. And then finally, Jesus compels us by His glory. How in the world do we do this? Man, this is it. We are compelled by His glory. Amari Cooper, the wide receiver, former wide receiver for um, Alabama, now playing for the Oakland, I don't know whether to call them the Oakland Raiders or the Oakland Las Vegas, I don't know. <laughs> now they're moving to Las Vegas. All right, we'll move on from there. Uh, um, anyway, he, he's a uh, uh, receiver for Oakland. And he bought his mother this year her dream home and her dream car. And the beautiful thing about that is that um, he grew up in the projects, and she a single mother. 
Um, didn't have a car her whole life, 20-something years. And, um, you know, went without a car. From the point that she could drive, she, ne- she never had a car. And she worked several jobs, and it was tough. And, you know, you hear a story like that, and, man, it just does something to your heart. That's something to my heart. Like, man, that's awesome. It's awesome. But still in that story, who is the hero? Is it Amari Cooper? Is it still his mom? Still his mom. <laughs> Mark Cooper gave up a portion of his wealth. His mom gave up everything. And you say, that's the story. Why does that story compel us? Why is that the meta-narrative for all you English you know, people out there? Why is that the story, the one story that is compelling above all things? Selfishness is never a good story. Greed is never a good story. Self-sacrifice, death, throughout life, not looking for applause. That is the story that compels us. Well, guess what? We have the story to compel us. And it's not a story. It is our story. It's our personal story. In love, God predestined Richard Reeves to be adopted as his son through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In those moments when I want to live for Richard, in those moments that I don't want to die. Oh, but God, because he set his sight on me before I was even conceived. And he moved throughout history to redeem me, to pay the price that he might have me as his son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isaiah 53, 2, He had no former majesty that we should look in Him, and no beauty that we should desire Him. The Son of God Himself, God Himself came down and came down and and willingly and gladly and joyfully decided to be ugly and anonymous for you. So that you might have His beauty. The gospel is an utter paradox. We are called to do it. We can't do it and we've blown it. So Jesus came and did it. And now we're called to do it. Not to be saved, but because Jesus did it already. It's a life of gratitude. It's a life of love. It's a life of laying it down. Our future glory. We are heirs with Christ. We have a Father who cannot and will not write us out of the will. And He owns glory. It's everything. And we are heirs because we are united to Christ through faith in what He's done for us. And that is sealed in eternity. It's just as real as any law and any contract, even more real. Because God will not go back on His Word. That is the story that we have because He has bought us through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son. So the the question is, is that not compelling enough for you? How compelling is that to you this morning? The reason that you're not living a life in that direction, the reason that you're holding on to life, that you're mad at God because you're not married, that you're mad at God because you are married to the spouse you're married with, that you're mad at God because He won't give you children, because you're mad at God for the children He did give you, you're mad at God because you don't have a job, you're mad at God for the job that you do have, whatever it is, do you see it? We have a story. This is not your story. That is your story. And it's real. It's not just wishful thinking. It is real. And if it's not, we are fools. 
If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we are not just investing our time wisely by going to church. No, we are fools. You're a fool for being here if Jesus wasn't raised. And I'm a bigger fool because I've chosen this as my career. This is how I've invested my whole career. I'm a fool. Or I'm a fool for Jesus and it's real. That's the question. Dear friend, would you give your life to Christ? Would you give your life to the narrative that He lived, that He died, that He rose, that you might have the freedom to live and die and rise one day? You see it? There's life. Oh, may we be known as a body that knows how to die joyfully, not putting it on Facebook, every good thing we do, but just doing it and letting the world stand back and just smell just a little bit of Jesus and go, mm, okay, that, that's glory. That's real. Because it smells like Him. Lord Jesus, may we smell like You. May our lives be bathed in all that you are. Would you come, Lord Jesus, and do your work in our midst? Oh, God, I need you. I'm the chief of sinners in this place. I need you. Oh, God, would you come in might and power and change me more and more to lay down my life in very practical and real ways for those around me, for my wife, for my children, for my grandchildren, for my parents, for my neighbors, for this body, for Memphis, for the world. God, thank you that there's forgiveness. Thank you that there's hope. Thank you that there's not just an example. But thank you that your power dwells in me by your spirit. And so empower me, empower us to live differently. To live entering Jerusalem kind of lives. Not praying for Eden, but knowing that we are heirs of glory, but we've got to go through Jerusalem. Help us to do for the glory of Christ, fed by the feast of the table of the Lamb. Oh God, change the skeptic's heart this morning. Calm the fears and the anxiety of your children who say, I just can't, I'm scared, I'm afraid. God, meet them by your power. Give them freedom, give them faith, give them the gift of faith. God, would you work among us this morning that you might get glory, that we might get good, because that's what always happens when you get the glory. Oh, God, work in this body. We give ourselves to you. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen.